They may be an amazing programmer and they may have the most amazing idea, but they were never meant to do that. They were meant to make 400 grand a year at Facebook doing exactly that. And guess what? That's awesome. I commend those people. Sometimes I envy those people. And that is an amazing, amazing career. So always, always look at what the big picture is. Never dive into something too hasty. The last piece, do it again. It's not to kill dreams because I always leave it with this. There's something, it's in your heart to do it. I'm never the one to say don't. If anything, I am the one to say, well, you could take a look at it. Do some research and not research that's two weeks, right? You know, have you been mulling this over for three months? You know, is this something that's really thoughtful? Are you being thoughtful about this? Or did you have a dream about it last night? Those are some key pieces just that hopefully people, you know, have a takeaway with. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Mark Samuel. Mark is a serial entrepreneur, he's a father, and also a health and fitness enthusiast with over 17 years of startup experience. He's currently the founder and CEO of I Want Organics, a plant-based food company that makes bold, flavor-infused snacks and cereal made from plant proteins like peas, beans, and brown rice. Their mission is to help others with their health and nutrition journey. I Want Snacks can be found in over 5,000 stores nationwide, including Kroger's, Wegmans, Sprouts, Whole Foods, Vitamin Shop, Safeway, Ralph's, Brookshires, and online at iwantorganics.com, Amazon, and Thrive Market. What I really like about Mark is his no BS, straight shooting advice on things like life, business, health, mindset, and more. So with that said, let's get this conversation going and welcome Mark Samuel to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Mark, welcome to the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm a big fan of what you've created with Iwan and the products. They're amazing. And I think where I want to start is something that is pretty relatable that we were kind of just talking about a few minutes ago. And that is you just got into this recent bike accident that has been, it seems, you know, hard on you mentally, emotionally, and obviously physically. So explain to the audience in the best of your ability, like what happened and like why this has been so difficult for you. So on Sunday, I took my road bike out. I haven't taken the road bike out in months. My training consists really here in the garage. You know, I train every day. And every so often, I like to take the road bike out just for a little bit of a different discipline. Decided to do it. It's been so nice out here in the North Bay. And I just made a dumb mistake. It was on me. And I flipped directly over the front of the bike, knocked myself out, broke my hand, really beat myself up. My back is really torn up. And it was a big deal. I've never been involved with anything like this before. I've never been knocked out before. I've been wobbled uh, back in the day from a punch or two, you know, way, way back in the good old days. But I've never been out. And that was the scary part. The other scary part is because I'm such an active person 
And for the reasons we might jump into in, in some of the show anyways, for my own mental health, it's been difficult. These last three days have been very, very difficult on me mentally. I'm trying to stay active like today at walking around for 60 minutes this morning to just get my blood flowing and try to find those endorphins that I look for each morning. So that's been really the most difficult thing on me these last few days. Dude, I mean, you're, you're thankful to be alive. I mean, there's a lot of people that might not have survived that accident. And you know, thanks for sharing that and just kind of admitting that how tough it's been. Because there's a lot of people that would experience something like that and they'd be like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's all good. But you know, you're, you're on here and you're kind of just being honest and being real. And I want to get into something you just said about exercise because I think a lot of people, when they experience something like you went through and they had been active and fit, they would try to just say, you know what, like if I can't do what I was doing before, then screw it. I might as well just not do anything. So what has been the process for you, somebody who has been so disciplined in your exercise routine that was adamant about doing a variety of physical activities every single day to keep yourself in tip top shape to now, like you can't do that. And like, how are you finding like the same benefits from something as simple as walking, given that your workouts, you know, a week ago were much more intense? Well, I'm probably going to appreciate it a lot more. I mean, we take everything for granted. I mean, all of us do. I just wrote about it on LinkedIn, you know, just like by God's grace. I mean, my helmet has cracks in it. I, it would have been a lot worse. Um, if I wasn't wearing a helmet and if there weren't people on the scene who saw it and the ambulance, got, like it was a big deal. So I, I would say in retrospect is that we got to be grateful for what we have. The second thing is I just have to stay active. Yesterday I went in my garage and my mom was here. She was pissed at me because she knew what I was doing. She could hear me out there. And I like jumped on the treadmill and, and, and started almost jogging a little bit. And it kind of messed me up later in the day. My body felt a little uncomfortable. My the pains in my body were, were a little bit more pressed on me. I didn't sleep again well last night. This is the third night in a row I could not sleep. So you just have to listen to your body. That's what I take from this. And, and for me, I'm okay to listen to my body this go around, even though I've never experienced anything like it. But at the same time, I still will move. So like I said, this today walked around for 60 minutes outside. I will continue to do that over the next few days until I can feel my body starting to recoup. And that, I think that's a smart approach and a great way to look at it is to take it like one step at a time and take small steps because the only hope of you getting back to the place you were before is by doing this. If you try to overexert yourself, if you try to overdo it, you're only going to delay your progress. And I think also having this level of, of gratitude that you are still alive and there you're able to do certain things, I think is, is really going to be instrumental in your ability to recover. And I've heard you on, on other podcast interviews and you strike me as this person that is this hyper-disciplined, hyper-focused in everything that you do. I would imagine that you're also at times can be kind of hard on yourself. Like what has been that process like for you mentally as far as like how have you been able to manage like the demons inside of your head throughout this process? I'm still working on it. I mean, the thing that I'm most disappointed in right now is just that I can't get my head straight. I was and still am concussed, and I'm certain of that. And there's this fogginess going on. It's actually why I stopped taking the pain meds they gave me, because that was adding to this disruption that I, I'm feeling inside my head and, you know, in the rest of my body. And so I'm very sensitive to things like that. So there's nothing I can do. I just have to fight through this thing. And just I'm optimistic is, is what I have, you know, inside of me. 
that is saying, okay, just get through the next few days. You know, you'll start having some more clarity and in transparency, this is like the worst time because of some stuff that's going on with work that I need to be super focused on. And so getting over that piece is just an addition to everything. But again, it goes back to just the disciplines and me reminding myself that this will pass, but I do have to give it some time. And so I'm just doing this day to day. I love that outlook. And I think it's great that you can at least just own that it's a process and that you don't have everything figured out right now. And that in reality, like this couldn't have happened in a worse time, but there's nothing you can do about it other than just stay in this present moment and work through it to the best of your ability. I don't want to harp too much on the accident in itself because there's so much more to your story and to what you've created in the, and even like your message online on LinkedIn that I think so many people are going to appreciate. And I'm just, you know, grateful that you were still able to make the conversation and that all things considered, you're okay and that you're going to survive. And I know you've been essentially, you've been a serial entrepreneur. You've been, you've started multiple businesses and had a lot of success over the years, but some, I guess, haven't panned out in the way that you hoped that maybe they would once you started them. What is your relationship with failure like? Because there's, there's people, I think, listening to this, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's they started a business, didn't work out, they just... They let that become their identity. So how have you been able to transform your relationship with failure throughout the years so that you don't see like one business not working out as your total destiny? Uh, well, we lose all the time, right? We're losing all the time. We just, we, we're not in the face of it or we don't admit it or we're not transparent about it with other people. I mean, but the fact is, I don't care who you are. There are so many times in your life, even in present day that you're losing. So I guess for me, I just look at a loss in business or something that didn't do what I originally intended it to do, or it did not have the outcome that I wanted it to have as just being a stepping stone onto whatever it comes next. I'm one to say this. I, I, say, I just said it to, to a friend the other day. I look forward to the mark at 53. You know, I'm 43 today. I really look forward to that guy. So God's grace, right, gives me the ability to get through another 10 years and I'm here upright, healthy, and at 53, I'm going to be a, a pretty awesome. I mean, I don't say that like with this like ego play. I'm just, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be more awesome than I am today. That's just a fact, right? And it doesn't matter what you think that word awesome may be. What does it translate to? Everybody has their own sort of reference point to what that could be. I'm just telling you what is fact. I'm going to have 10 more years of getting my ass whooped, right? Whether through wins, through losses and everything in between. And I just, I think that that's where my mind lays, where and how I activate myself day to day is just recognizing that everything that I put myself through, even through some really hard losses is really just setting myself up for something better later. Right. And then that makes a lot of sense because I think once people can come to terms with the fact that you are going to have losses in life and you, you just accept that that's just the way it is. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. And hopefully like the chart looks like kind of like a, a stock, like a good stock over the years where, you know, it goes down some years, it goes up a lot, some years it goes down a little, and it's just over time, your investment is worth way more than where it was at the beginning. And I think a lot of times people have trouble in the dips and they sell their stocks or in real time, they they completely like sell themselves and they sell themselves short and they quit because they just 
for some reason can't get over the fact that sometimes like things just don't play out that the way that they were intended to. And I think the people who are successful in life and in whatever business you're in are the people that can use those losses as ways to learn, grow and like redirect yourself. It's like the housing market. You know, if you're using a reference point like that, I mean, it's a, it, I've never used the reference, but it is. It, it's like uh, buying a real estate. Just like you're saying, if you were really to look at what that looked like on a chart over time, you're up and to the right. Now I'll go one step further too. You want to know who gets rich during downtimes? The rich. Why? Because cash is king, right? So if you're using another reference point, if somebody were to take a look at all the dips over time and who made money from them, it was the people who were investing in themselves, right? And now we're, gonna, we're just using all these fun terms, right? They were putting money aside. Why? Because they were looking to invest in the downturns, right? And so what happens after the downturns? Then you got another pop. So all those people who are coming in there at those times, right? So it really is the same thing is that, that when there's a loss, i.e. a dip, those are just great learning experiences. You know, if you can come out of it and treat it as such, you get to take the ride to the right as well. It's just, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Amen to that. And I think with all that said, I felt like your career in the consumer goods space has been kind of like that. And now you're at this point where like Iwan is done fairly well. I mean, it, from the looks of it and just from like the, the sounds of it and your product is really, really good. Like I enjoy eating them. I know my friends of mine like love your products. In this world of consumer goods though, I think there, there's so much out there and people are buying packaged products all the time that are masked as health, as a health food and people are buying different shakes and different this and different that. With all that to say, for people listening to this, and you've been in the game for a long time, like what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned throughout this process that you think people would uh, really appreciate hearing? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new Green Juice Crisp Apple is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples and tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. Well, if we're talking specifically to CBG, so if people don't know, I have a snack company called I1 Organics and we make salty snacks as our core products along with some cereal. And in the space of CPG, this particular vertical, the few pieces that are missing often early on as far as education or understanding of the business is capital. 
it's a very, very capital intensive business. So you need a lot more money than you originally thought. Reasons are for, you know, I can go 10 long on it, but just in simple terms, if you're planning on scaling your business, and I mean scaling, meaning you want to get into retail on a mass level, you want to get into a you know retail chain that has a thousand doors, you need capital. You need capital, not just for what people talk about slotting, but also for promotion and really turning your product, getting trial on your product. So capital is one. Two is that it's going to take a lot longer than you originally thought it would. And oftentimes, you just to be present with what this actually may mean, you may never sell your business. You may never be acquired. You may never have what you deemed as some massive success story with this CPG brand that you're starting. And why? Because it doesn't happen very often. Over the course of the last 10 years, see, I got into it about six years ago, but over the course of the last 10 years, the business has completely changed than in years past. And what I often describe it as almost the gold rush, just like what happened in tech and the like, where there's just a, a ton of money that comes into a space. And the reason is, is because when you have VCs and PEs who are looking at particular channels where they can make money, more money comes flooding in. They come in because there might have been acquisitions or sales and return on investments that look wild, right, compared to other verticals. And so it's kind of been the wild, wild west the last 10 years, and that has gone away. Just in the course of the last 18 months, you know, things have absolutely changed. Money's now bleeding out. It's harder to get investment. And there's going to be a lot less startups coming into this space. So that second one is really understanding that you've got to really know why you're doing this and make sure that you're in it for the right reasons, because this might not be what you expected it to be. I think those are the two most important for now. And, and I love like how you explain that in a way that I think is pretty simple for people to understand and that, you know, you need a lot more capital, I think, than you, you think to get things started. Things take a lot longer than you think, or they might not happen at all. And that the space is changing and it's evolving. And I think from a consumer side, I think people, Mark, often get confused when a lot of these quote unquote health snacks are in stores. They might see gluten-free, vegan, paleo. What I can go on and on with these labels. And they're like, oh, it must be healthy. Like, what is your advice? Because I'm sure you consume your own health products, right? Or you consume your own health foods. Like, what is your advice for a consumer listening to this on how they can do due diligence to know if a product is for real or not? Well, you'll like my answer because then this will showcase to you how I actually feel about this. I actually don't consume a lot of our products because I don't snack very much. I actually never snack. So a lot of times when I say that to people, they're like, oh my God, don't you own a snack company? I do, but I'll, I'll give you an answer to it. I'm a big proponent of eating whole foods. I'm a big believer that you should be eating whole foods as often as you possibly can. Now for me, whole foods would be, you know, meats, and fruits and honey. I'm a big believer in carbohydrates like rice. And then for me, I, on, on the plant side, the only supplement that I do take is a, is a plant protein for just convenience. Now, let me tell you why. Eating whole foods, dense and nutritious whole foods, is the best thing for you. Nobody can ever refute that. If they do, you're talking to the wrong person. Why I created a snacking platform, a better for you healthy snacking platform is 97% of people are not like me. They're not going to be as disciplined and they don't live the lifestyle that I do. And guess what? I am totally okay with that. I realize 
that my disciplines are completely different than other people, that my lifestyle is a little bit different, and that I've been doing this for so long that it is not just habit, it is lifestyle. But for people to get to a lifestyle, they have to create habits. And so that starts with learning about foods. So we created a platform of healthy snacking because we recognize that most consumers are still going to snack. One step further, just like me, I have kids. Our kids will too. So we want to offer up something that's going to be better for you. So that's what our platform does. Now, our platform goes further, whereas they can actually hear from somebody who is important to the brand, i.e. the founder, who's talking about truths. They're not bullshitting consumers. Like, listen to what I just said, right? I'm actually telling consumers, I would prefer you to eat whole foods. However, if you can't, if you're driving to soccer practice, you're putting something in your kid's lunch, you have a work meeting, grab some of our snacks. They're better for you than 99% of the options that are out there. It's a great answer. I know when we first connected, you kind of told me you don't do much snacking, but I didn't know you didn't hardly consume any of your own products. But listen, I think it's reality and it's good that you have somebody who owns a company that is just sharing the truth. And because you know, two things, one, that you're being real. And I think people will relate to that Two, You want people to eat whole foods and three, like the people that are like, you know what, like, that's just not for me. There's at least an option for them to have some healthy snacks when they're on the run and that sort of thing. So like, what's your basic advice for people when they're looking at other products that are categorized in the health snack category because i mean there's so there's a million of them at this point and people are often confused and i think people might read some stuff on the internet or somebody's promoting it and they might just automatically assume that it's good for them like what's your general advice for people approaching that it's just look at the panel i mean i'm actually a real big believer in people you know and that we do know what is good for us i'm not big into the excuse of i didn't really realize that it well yeah you did just turn the label over and read it to yourself. Like for us, we have like four main ingredients, right? It's like peas, rice, and seasoning. So you can turn things over and do that to yourself. If you're seeing things that don't make sense to you, or you're seeing things that are high in sugar, like those are the easy callouts, right? You know, you got a bar here. It says it's nutritious, but it has 22 grams of sugar in it. Well, then you know the answer to that. And so read the labels. If you can pronounce it as cliche as it is, right, and you understand what it is, you've seen it before in its real form, then it's probably good for you. But if you're reading things that don't make a lot of sense, there's words that you've never heard of, and or it's extremely high in carbohydrates and sugars compared to the other nutritional facts, then, you know, you might want to take a second guess. Yeah, people have to take responsibility and accountability for where there's spending their money, right? And they have to take the time to, I mean, not just invest in the right products, but just read about like what they're buying so that that way they can be aware of what exactly they're putting in into their system. And a lot of people also have families and they want to be mindful of what their kids are eating as well. For those of us who are their parents, like we all know what the bad foods do to our kids. It's like we do it to ourselves. Like you give the kid, you know, some candy, like they're running up and down the couch, right? Like we already know. It's just about implementing these habits and putting them into your daily life, the schedule to get things corrected. And it's only when that occurs, these habits I talk about, they become forming and it becomes a lifestyle. 
And the last piece to it is like you had said about putting this in your body. There's a time in our lives where when we've done it for so long, it is that element of fuel. You know, you've heard people use this. It's, it's like a car. Would you ever put bad fuel in your car? Well, it's very true. Whoever came up with that thing about the Ferrari and whatever it was, they're correct. Like when you're putting bad things into your engine, you're going to have bad output. So just start putting good things in and it's clear as day. Everybody, you, nobody will ever refute that when they're eating well, they don't feel better. Nobody. I don't know one person who is ever going to refute that, right? Nobody's ever going to refute that when they exercise, they don't feel better. Nobody. Nobody's ever going to refute that. So it's just about getting things going. And, and I'm very cautious and I'm empathetic to those that are getting going. That's my thing. I actually enjoy that the most is, is recognizing that it's just a step. It's a process. So day to day. Day to day. And some people, maybe they might hear you on this interview or they've heard you on other interviews and they're like, man, that guy is just so disciplined, so type A, so laser focused. Like, is he like that all the time? And I guess what I wanted to ask you is like, how has you having kids, how has that impacted like your super driven, disciplined personality? Because we know like, I mean, kids are kids and kids are different. Like how has being a dad changed you? Well, it's definitely changed me for the better because I started to learn patience. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Anybody out there who would understand the sentiment. I had yet to experience what patience really is. And I'm still horrible at it. I mean, I'm still horrible at it. However, you're put in many situations where patience is required and it really is an asset. It's something you're putting in your back pocket for many different things. I always say this as far as business, it's probably one of the biggest assets that I've been able to accumulate was through my kids, this learning of being patient. Because before I would rifle off something, you know, without even thinking about it. And patience is a really, really undervalued asset when it comes to not just personal things, but in business. So that's probably the biggest piece thus far. Yeah, man. I don't have kids, but I mean, that's one of the things that I hear from a lot of my friends who are either new parents or have had kids for a little while. And they're like, man, like you truly don't learn the definition of patience until you have kids, right? Because like they're so different, they're wired different. And, you know, there's a lot you can't control and that, you know, sometimes there's going to be days where you can't get through to them. You can't communicate with them the way you think. And, and it's just a learning curve, right? And it's just a learning experience, I think. And it seems like it's transitioned into your professional life as well with the company. And there's people that I think, I think with the term now, like surround yourself with like people who bring the best out on you, which I think is, is very important specifically in your personal relationships, but in business, like not everyone's going to be wired the same. And I think that people, you know, sometimes get stuck in this trap and they just think they're going to find people that are just like them that work in their company in reality, like it's just going to be very hard to do that. How have you handled that where you are so driven and focused and your team members, are they all like you or are they personalities different? I would say everybody's going to be different and nobody's going to be at work the same way that I do or think the same way, nor would I really want them to. I mean, that's the whole idea of building a team is having different assets, personalities, input, disciplines coming from different people. I'm a big believer in that. So the only thing that that is a benefit from the fact that I'm cut this way is that people feed off it. I've always been really lucky in everything that I've done. I've always had really great teams, people that I'm lucky to work with. And legitimately, it's mainly because 
they know that I don't really have a quit in me. One and two is um, usually when I do get involved with something, there's a, a reason behind it, like a true why, which is often easy to attach, you know, to. We all need that, right? We need to know what the purpose of our work is. So when you put all those pieces together, it's really just to create momentum for the team. It's not to require other team members to be that same way. That's well said, man. Because that's like one of the hardest things to learn, especially like when you're so passionate about something and specifically like you have your, this is your business. This is how like you make your money and this is like your, your future and that you come to terms that not everybody is going to be as fired up about you to do the thing. Not everybody is going to be as focused as disciplined. And I think everybody has different strengths and like you'll rub off on people in a certain way. And I think other people will probably rub off on you in a certain way and help you learn and grow as well. And I think a buzzword that gets thrown around so much now is entrepreneurship, you know, just follow your dreams, follow your passions. And I think yes, but is my own understanding that yes, you can follow it, but you also have to make money. Like you can't, you can't just quit your nine to five that's supporting your entire family because you want to go start a health company and you have no money coming in to support your kids. Like what is your advice to somebody who is maybe like working a nine to five job right now, but has this itch to pursue something passionate? Like what are some things they should consider before doing that? I've said this multiple times and I'm, I'm a big optimist. So let me set the tone there. You know, there's pessimism in some of the conversations that I've had that come from my side because I often say this, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you're going to be successful at it. It's just fact. You may be super passionate about training, right? Let's just talk about the gym. You're in there five days, six days a week. You're brightening up your own workouts. Your discipline is, is off the charts, but you may suck as a trainer. You may be the worst gym owner on planet Earth. And so somebody like, yeah, but my passion for it. Yeah, your passion for your own training so that you can build pecs and biceps and be the fastest guy on the block. That's your thing. That doesn't translate into helping Susie lose 10 pounds, right? It could be your, your personality may suck. You may have no patience. We just talked about it. You may be unbelievable in the gym. You're benching 245 for 30 and you're, you love it. You can't wait the next morning to get in there and do your thing. But you may have no patience when four people cancel on you the morning of their training session. So I hope I'm lining this up there for what this really is about. I mean, I think there's so much truth to what you said because like there has been this huge like wave of, of messaging, I think, in the last few years on social media that you should just follow your passion. If you're passionate about something that you could automatically make money doing it, like find something you're good at and then do it. And like to what you said, just because you're passionate about something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into dollars. Like can it? Yes, but it's very hard. And I think <laughs> it's, I have this conversation with people a lot because I've been a, I've had my own training business for a while now and people will start a business and there's this initial like dopamine rush that they get. They're like, I'm an entrepreneur and I can say that I'm the CEO and I own it. And that's all well and good. But what happens when like your income drops like one month or like what happens when you have to like handle a conflict with a team member, like the things that aren't so quote unquote sexy with being an entrepreneur, do you still like, like it then? And there's a lot of people. And I, I think I've heard you talk about this, that, that at that point, 
They don't like it anymore. They're like, well, I just thought that it would just be a trajectory up. And because I'm like working for myself, that all of a sudden I'm going to make way more money. And in, in many cases, you don't make more money. I've been doing this now for 18, 19 years, right? Always done my own thing. I've been blessed to be able to do it. I'm just cut this way. Um, as I you know, often try to explain, I, I really don't know another way. I could care less what my title is. And so people will understand. It's like something you had just brought up. I want to be the CEO. I could, this is coming from somebody with, I could give two fucks what my title is. I'll tell you what I do care about. I care about being in business tomorrow. I care about making payroll, right? And I care about having the chance to build something around my why. In this case, what we're doing now, building a health and wellness platform, it's something that's incredibly important to me. That's really it. Well, I don't care if somebody calls me the, the janitor or the founder or the head of sales or ops manager. I really don't care. And it's really important for people to understand that. And I want to go back to it, though, that the main point, which is it's the reason why most businesses fail. Remember that. It's a, it's a real statistic. Go look it up, folks. It's why most fail. Because a majority of the time, that person is not set out to do their own thing. They may be an amazing programmer, right? Just legit, top tier. And they may have this the most amazing idea, super innovative, first to market. But they were never meant to do that. They were meant to make 400 grand a year at Facebook doing exactly that. And guess what? That's awesome. I commend those people. Sometimes I envy those people. You make a great salary. You got stock options. You go to work when you want. Nobody's really saying anything, you know, foul to you. And that is an amazing, amazing career. So always, always look at what the big picture is. Never dive into something too hasty. The last piece, do it again. It's not to kill dreams. If you're something you want to do, because I always leave it with this. There's something, it's in your heart to do it. I'm never the one to say don't. If anything, I am the one to say, well, you could take a look at it. Do some research. Really dive into it. And not research that's two weeks, right? You know, have you been mulling this over for three months? You know, is this something that's really thoughtful? Are you being thoughtful about this? Or did you have a dream about it last night? Those are some key pieces just that, that hopefully people, you know, have a takeaway with. Yeah. It does happen and it is possible for people to like work on something on the side and then it just flourishes and they just make it work and their their dreams kind of become reality. And it wasn't, it's not like it's an easy, like linear progression, kind of like we talked about earlier in the conversation, like the chart with like the the stocks and the housing market and stuff, but they had some big ups and some downs and some ups and they figured out a way to make it, but that's not the majority of people. So if, outside of like what you said about doing some research and really making sure you're all in, like if you were starting over now, let's just say you're working for some other consumer goods company, nine to five, and you're in a managerial position, but you have this vision or you have this tug on your heart to start something else, like knowing what you know now, what would be a few first steps you would take to make sure that your family's secure that you're going to make the right decision and that you're kind of going to have some sort of like landing pad so that if things go sideways. I think it all depends on age, where you're at, you know, in your career, whether or not you do have a family. It's not talked on enough for whatever reason. We have blinders on, on really important things when it comes to questions like that. And the third one is whether or not you have money. 
you know, you have some sort of nest egg of some sort, which are dependent on those other two items that I just mentioned, right? Because it's much harder for somebody to go out and try something if they have nothing, right? Yet they have a family to support and they have things that they have to be responsible for. So you have to look at all that before making those decisions. I'm a real big believer in it. And so everybody and every situation is its own. So there really is no one clear answer. If you're, again, just using as examples, if it's early in your career, you're 25, you're sleeping on your homie's couch, you know, your mommy's got, you know, a little bit of a nest egg in case shit hits the fan. Like you see it happen all the time. They can take some bigger risks and you know, so be it. I'm big, always fair on these types of conversations. It's the hand you were dealt. Again, people are afraid for some reason to talk openly about it. I just am open about it. It's the hand you were dealt. We all know plenty of well-off people, you know, their family were wealthy and they were just like mediocre smart. They probably don't have the chops to do it. Yet they had like three chances to go start their own business that all three of them failed, right? And they're like, yeah, see that person got to do, well, so what? That was the hand they were dealt. Then there's the opposite. The person who, you know, grew up poor, right? Didn't get the education, doesn't have the network. They have, and they have, they're smart, they have the chops to do this, yet they never get a chance, right? It's the world we live in, and it's fucked up sometimes. I say it, right? But going to the main question, it all depends on the specific situation. And I urge you to make sure you are looking at what is around you and on whether or not to make those specific moves. Right. And you're right. Like life isn't fair. The world isn't fair. And that's just the way it is. It's life. And I think you have to take a hard look at the hand that you're dealt. And also, like like you said, the hand that you're playing and you can't just make a, a life altering decision, like quitting your nine to five, because you saw some meme on Instagram. Like you really need to take a hard look at your situation, your family, your net worth, like location, where you're at, how old you are, like all these things before like making some decision that could potentially change your life for the worse or for the better. Getting back to you and how you are have been weathering the storms. I know in your industry, I mean, there's companies that are popping up left and right. It seems like every day the space is hyper competitive. Things are always changing. Consumers tastes and what they're eating can change. And there's a lot of uncertainty. How does somebody like yourself, you have kids that you love dearly that you're responsible for and you have a business, you have employees. Like how do you deal with like the uncertainty of the industry that you're in? You have to have optimism that is unwavering. And it's the piece that I just said, noted this to somebody too, about it's really what makes an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, different than anybody else. There is this unwavering optimism that is cut within you that is there in the darkest times. And it's hard to explain unless you really have been in it. But when you wake up in the morning and there should be absolutely no reason whatsoever that you have optimism in your heart. That's an entrepreneur, the one that does. And so it's until they shut the lights out. And until the last dollar comes into the business and it's, and you have to turn the keys over, that you believe something will happen. And so that's the faith that I believe in. That's how I'm cut. 
And, you know, hopefully that never goes away because I think it's an amazing, amazing asset if it's treated properly. You're right. I mean, I think you have to have this innate level of, I call it like blind faith as an entrepreneur in situations because there's some days you just, you know, on paper, you should be staying in bed and be like heavily, heavily like depressed based on what life looks like and based on your finances. And you have, but you have to have this level of faith where you're like, man, like I'm in this super dark place right now, but I know if I stay here, it's not going to get any lighter. I know if I stay here, I might even go back a little bit. I might start drinking a bottle of wine every night. I might start like not exercising or doing all these things that'll make your life worse. But then you're like, all right, if I can, I just know, I believe enough in my vision. I believe enough that I can just, I know how to make stuff happen that if I just keep moving forward, like something's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but it's something's going to click. And I think that kind of goes in line to what you were speaking about a second ago and that you just have this this unique drive and this unique level of optimism to even in the darkest times to continue to move forward even though like the odds are so stacked against you. Like going back to you as a parent, I know like your kids, you, you've talked about, I've heard you talk about how your kids are like, like way above business. And I think that that's the way it should be. And I think everybody, I would hope, agrees that their kids should be you know, ahead of their business. I think that's pretty, hopefully, well-known at this point. Like, what are some of the key things you're teaching your kids? Well, the thing I probably talk in the most is, it's, and they hear me talk about it, is I am a big believer in treating people kind, right? You know, and my daughter's not the best at that. She's, she's like an aggressive. She's, she's got a little bit of a fire in her. And I'm a, just a real big believer that treating others with kindness is such a win. There's so many things that you get as a result of that. And now, you know, I see it, you know, as an adult, of course, but if that's part of your being early on and you carry that through, you know, childhood into adulthood, so many things come from that. So many things result from that. And so I think they hear me talk about that the most is just, just be kind to people. And it morphs into these other things. I, I really don't like bullies and things like that. You know, that happens a lot. Like today, our environment's different than like what what I went through, right? You know, the guy out in the in the schoolyard, you know, who who tried to punk you, you know, you guys might fist fight and all that. Like, but the bullying is different now. Now you got social media and, and all this muck that's going on. So you have to talk about it differently. But it all it all connects back to the kindness piece. If you're the first to tell a friend, hey, don't do that. You're that guy or gal. You're top notch. You're like, you're a good person. And it transcends. It can be passed on from your group of friends to the other group of friends and the like, because there's a lot of shittiness out there. And if we don't start it at home and we don't talk about it at home, it will get to a place that we'll regret. I mean, it has already, right? We talk about it and we see it on the news and everything else, but I think it starts at home and, and that's a key, key driver right there is kindness. Absolutely, man. It never hurts to be kind. And it's like, that's also one of those things that when you're feeling poorly about yourself or you're having a bad day, I mean, when you're kind to somebody else, you help somebody out. I mean, it genuinely, it genuinely and almost always will make you feel better. I know like in your childhood, you're, you lost your dad at kind of a young age and you seem to be hyper self-aware as far as what you need to do to succeed and what you need to do as far as like your daily disciplines and that sort of thing. Like has like losing your dad at a young age, has that impacted the way you carry yourself as a father? Like the amount of time you spend with your kids and also like your just drive to succeed and provide for your family? You know, I don't know if it's connected. I'm sure subconsciously a lot of my being comes from 
loss, right? Everybody's had some sort of loss in their life. Something critical has happened in their life, right? For me, that was big impact. At a young age, losing somebody so impactful in my life and then carrying that deep inside of me for many years, of which resulted in me being not a kind person, right? See, I was just talking about that. Me acting up in ways that were disruptive. Me creating obstacles in my life, right? So subconsciously, yes, there's something there that is driven from that loss. I would say how I am today as a 43-year-old male with kids is, is hopefully just me. Again, it's, it's all those years of buildup, but it's now who I am. It's not my past. It's this is who the being is. And so being a dad, being just fully engaged, coaching all their sports and like wanting to do that is me. It's me. And I think people need to give themselves credit for stuff like that. The road and the journey that they've been on to get to that place. Again, it doesn't take away from what may have occurred in the past and what's what's created that. But this is me. And, you know, as, as most should say, you know, proud to be where I'm at right now. I've got a lot of work to do, though, man. So much more work to do. And I'm, I'm eager to do that. Well, I think subconsciously, it just seems like, yeah, there is some connection. And I think in a good way, right? I think a lot of times these things that happen that are unfortunate when we're younger, they happen for a reason. And we grow from it. We realize maybe what we like something that we don't want in life, or we realize like, man, I'm going to make sure I do everything I can to that doesn't happen or whatever. I'm just, you know, using examples and that you're hyper committed to spending as much time with you can as you can with your kids which I'm sure subconsciously in a way comes back to, you know, your dad left you at a young age and you're like, crap, like I want to make sure that as a dad, I'm there for my kids as much as I can. And I want to be able to be there to support them and provide for them. And, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, man. I think it's, it's great. And I admire it because there's a lot of people that even though they know they should be putting their kids first, they don't, they put their business first and it damages relationships. Yeah, that's an individual choice. And I'm empathetic to every, like it actually goes back to those core things we talked about, right? I'm empathetic to everybody's situation. And for whatever reason they've chosen to put one thing in front of the another, it is what it is. And, you know, so long you're a decent person, I will, you know, respect you. And we just have different ways of living our lives. And that is totally okay. To the point, you hope you don't mind, when people say, it happened for a reason. I'm not a believer in that. I'm more of a believer in this. Oh, something happened? That's up. That's who I am. That's up. And nobody should have to go through that. But just, you know, I understand the sentiment. And there's always a little truth in everything, right? There's truth in the fact that it builds character. It can. It doesn't always, remember. Sometimes it's bad character. But it can build good character, there are things you can take from situations in your life that were not good to build you into something that has impact on this world, right? That may have not if it didn't happen. So that's my sentiment to those subjects. I agree with you. I think that in the world we live in, there's some toxic positivity where people are like, you know, it happened for you. It's okay. And I, I think there's two sides of it. Like, I think that, yes, you have to acknowledge that something was really messed up and you would never want anyone to go through it. On the other hand, I think you touched on this a few minutes ago, you can't harp on it forever. You have to come to terms with the fact that this is who I am and that was messed up, but it's built me. You know, I'm sure I've learned lessons and I've, I've become a wiser and stronger person because of 
things you've gone through because I think through pain, through adversity, through challenge comes strength. And I think that's like how we become better people is through that. So the last question I want to ask you is you said you're kind of still working on some things and you're, you're always looking to get better. Like what are a few blind spots for you now that you're trying to work on personally for yourself so that you can continue to grow into the best version of you? I just have so much more room to grow as a parent. You know, I talked about patients before. There's so much more room to grow. I still do things that I regret later or think, you know, I don't act on things. I don't get in the extra 10 minutes of reading at night when I should. And I'm just too, if we're all honest with ourselves, right? If we're honest with ourselves, there's just a lot more room to grow. And I'm okay with that. I never say things like I'm doing my best. You know, I have other parents who know me and they know my situation. They know, you know, it's a difficult one that I'm in. And they go, I know you're doing your best. And I go, well, am I? Am I doing my best? You know, it's, it's again, it's one of those, because I, I don't know. I do know I'm trying. And so there's room to grow there on the parenting side. You know, we're constantly trying to, to be better, right? That 1% each day, I'm still trying to, to, you know, push for that. There's a lot of training that I have yet to do and that I look forward to doing over the years. And that's just all about growth. All of this has to do with growth. That's the answer to that one. Amen, dude. That's like the spice of life, right? It's just continually embracing the journey and just freaking acknowledging the ups and downs and just knowing that we're always going to have room to grow and, and literally just being so self-aware of like where we need to grow and just being like relentless about just taking small steps to improve that daily. And just, and like, yes, like it's accepting that you're doing the best you can, like, isn't the way to look at it because I think then you almost can rationalize anything. But I think at the end of the day, like you just have to give it your all that day in whatever area of your life you're trying to improve on. What's next for you in Iwan? I mean, I know like you've really captured the market in a way with the uh, snacks and then some cereals. Like, do you see yourself expanding with different products? Do you see yourself launching another company? Like what's next for that side of things? We're building a health and wellness platform all around organic snacking. So we got another snack that we plan to launch in the next 60 days and that we want to stay in core organic snacking, you know, higher in protein and fiber through what we consider legume based ingredients like peas and beans and rice and really focus on just sort of achieving that better for you within the category that's matched up with just an amazing flavor that people are coming back for. Awesome, man. Well, I will be sure to link Iwan in the show notes and as also for people to connect with you on LinkedIn. This has been great. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway, something that you learned from what Mark said, from his lessons learned or his wisdom professionally or personally, and whatever takeaway you found, tag Mark, tag Iwan, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and we'll see you next time.